Welcome friends to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. Welcome everybody to Someone Gets Me. I have an amazing guest around my kitchen table and you are going to be so delighted to hear from him. Today we're talking about creating something bigger than yourself. That's right, as visionaries, we are meant to create something bigger than ourselves. And I have the expert, the only expert I know that is so amazing, and that is my good longtime friend, Chuck Bros. He has a lifetime of creating amazing things. He's a visionary like no others. Like I just told him off camera, he has more visionary and business skill in his little toenail than a lot of people have in their whole lifetime. He is a gifted visionary, very successful man, but the thing that I love about him the most is his alignment to his heart and his soul and his mind. This man does everything I've ever seen you do, Chuck, is from that space of serving others and doing the right thing. So I'm really excited to have Chuck here with us today, sitting around my kitchen table, hanging out, and we're just gonna chat with you about how to create something bigger than yourself because sometimes that um, eludes people. So Chuck, welcome to the show. Thank you, it's a pleasure being here with my best friend. <laughs> yes, we have so much fun together. And how about telling everybody a little bit about your entrepreneur journey? I think you started when you were like eight or something. And tell her a little bit, just give us a highlights of the story. It's, it, your story is fascinating. Oh boy, well, I, yes I did start at eight. <laughs> I started in Palm Springs, California, when it was a little tiny town and it was more Indians and Spanish people than there was white people. And uh, so it's been a long journey, interesting. I started out with, uh, um, as a paper boy and I bought a route and it cost me eight bucks, eight dollars. Eight dollars. And I bought the bike for another eight dollars. <gasps> Sixteen dollar so investment. I had to clean bricks and garden and everything else to make the sixteen dollars to buy my first business. And uh, the interesting part about that, when I really realized I was more of an entrepreneurial person than I was just being somebody making a living, or trying to carve out some, some in this case, my allowance, uh, was that I was I probably wasn't more on my route that I bought for four months before I started realizing I got to make more money, and <laughs> I needed a leverage myself, and there was an age limit. A minimum age to be on that route, eight years old, which I, why well, I was qualified, and I think I was probably a little younger than that. But anyway, I was said I was eight, so I lived that eight, and I had uh, a couple little Mexican boys that that were six and seven, that were brothers that uh, wanted to get in the paper business. They wanted to make some money too, because it was during the war and it was tough times and every penny or dollar counted, and mostly pennies. And um, so, but they couldn't make the age limit yet, they were not eight, and so I hired them. And, <laughs> and I put them on the street corners in Palm Springs, because at that time it was a war, and we had military in the, in the desert, we had Patton with his 
uh, uh, tanks outside of the desert getting prepared to take them overseas. And we had the Marines from, from 29 Palms, and we had Army and Navy and Air Force, so we had the whole, and of course they were, they were uh, in, filling up our restaurants and our bars and, and giving us a little revenue stream. And so I put them on the street corners, selling paper by the paper, and I made two cents. I gave them one cent, so I split the, the money with them, and I now was making money from two, and they were selling as much as I did on my route, so I doubled my, my income without having to work any harder. I said, I like this, this. model. <laughs> <laughs> I like this really well. So I, you know, I kind of grew that route, so I had four or five of them on the street corners. And uh, then I took a real job and worked in the grocery industry, and I was the youngest person in the union, at the one and only union I'd ever belonged to was that one. And uh, I was a journeyman by the time I was 16, working and going to school mm -hmm. full time. And, uh, and I was still running little odd jobs with my Spanish boys and friends that were working with me. <laughs> we had a little business all to ourselves, and, and it was kind of fun to do it. Um, and, but that, that went on to an interesting position. I, I won't get into all my personal issues with it, but I had to leave home at the age of 15. Mm. And I uh, hitchhiked. Uh, back then, you could do that and get away with it. Nobody, right. Everybody stopped and gave you a ride. Those days are long gone. And I hitchhiked on my way to Los Angeles, but I was stopping on the way, staying in a little town, working to earn enough money to get to the next town. And so I was doing, I worked in the roller skating rinks and I did all the interesting things at, at 15. But I didn't have any place to live so um, in these towns, so I was living like, like on the streets. And then I found some, uh, there was a, a, a cement truck where they have these big trucks that uh, mix up cement and, and they had their big cabs in those things and, mm -hmm. and they left them open. Nobody, robbed, especially trucks at that size. And so I jumped in the truck and I slept in the truck and I had my mindset to get up at six because I knew the workers came in around 7.30, 8 o'clock. And one time I overslept and the drivers caught me and they started saying, oh, you could keep sleeping here. They were bringing me food. And I started doing work for them on the side and I started making <laughs> And finally, I got into Los Angeles, and I, I got a real job, and, I, and that was through the summer. So by the time I got into, it was time to enroll in school. And then I had the interesting experience, because I had to sign all my papers as if I was my own parent, because I didn't have any parents to sign my papers. So I would sign the papers with my parents' name on it and give it to them. So I went all through school and finally after, I was now all the way in the 11th grade before they finally caught me. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so they, and I was working full time making very good money. I was making full German wages and that was, a, I mean for that time period it was a lot of money. And so I had extra money and I started to invest in business opportunities. So by the time I was out of high school and graduated, I started opening up my first business, and I opened up a, a dancing school for children. I actually, I, I acquired a little business with some of the money I had. With, I think maybe I had $100 down or something, and I bought right. this business. Uh -huh. And uh, it was children dancing, 
and, and it was ballet and all the things that so and I looked at this business model and and um, they were barely scratching out a living and, and uh, so I said there's no room in it for me I got to make this business grow so I developed the, the, the business to uh, pick up children and, uh, from school or from their home and um, bring them to class and take them back. So I had a driver and I hired women drivers and they were generally mothers of children that couldn't afford to pay for the classes so I trade off their, 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 their services. Anyway, that was my business. Well, I, that grew so well and I was the first to put in this mobile operation and that grew the business up, up, up 500 percent unbelievable 500 percent wow uh, and, and i then went to monterey california monterey in in uh, in los angeles area and i opened up uh, my second studio and i was 18 and by the time i was a little over 18 i i was now running a i had a thousand students going to my two centers a day um, and so i was making really good money and so i had to do something with the money so i wanted to go buy another business and long story short i started buying businesses that were in trouble and then i would actually got smarter and i started instead of buying them i started fixing them up and re, uh, reorganizing them, letting them maintain ownership, and I would take a percentage of it, and I'd flip the business for them, and I'd grow them and get them, whether I was franchising them or whatever the marketing scheme was, I was doing it for them. And I started doing that in, in every kind of business. I started getting people coming to me, and it wasn't very long before I decided I wanted, I was really much into fitness, then much more than I am now, <laughs> and uh, and so I wanted to build a health club, and I was working for the Yellow Pages for AT and T at that time. That was my always I always had a full time job. Everything I did on the business was a full time second mm -hmm. job. So you managed to leverage. In fact, actually, that's when I finally learned to really leverage yourself because you got so much capacity in you. Mm -hmm. Why you need to grow that capacity with uh, outside of yourself and helping others with it and bringing them into your life uh, and building your 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 expansion your service your goods and you see the things that you could do great to help people and so i fitness center business became my next mission mm -hmm. and i opened up a health club i built it from the ground up and i had a call one day from a gentleman that said i'd like to buy your club and I said, well, I, I think I would like to sell it. I had no idea, <laughs> so, but if you want to buy it, I'm interested in selling it because I'll go build another one. And uh, that was my thought at the time. Anyway, the gentleman that, that talk, called me and talked to me, this is a fascinating story. I mean, I could talk for hours about some of these stories. But anyway, this guy uh, met, met with me in Malibu, and I, at that time I was living in Malibu, California, uh, California and I had um, met this gentleman and he had a plans to build a European health spa and older people my age would probably remember them but they're still around today they, we, we he was building the first one and he was building it about a big city aside from me out in, in Van Nuys California and so he wanted to buy mine and we reached an agreement on the price 
and you know, and he he said, but I Chuck, he said, I don't have the money cash to pay you up front. I have to pay every week in cash. Can we do that kind of a deal? And I said, well, I think I got to know you well enough. Yeah, I'll I'll do that because um, I felt I had a good enough security with owning this club. I could take it back over and run it. So this was my first really big deal. I sold mm -hmm. my first club and he was paying me $10,000 a week. This was a long time ago. That was a lot, a lot of money. Of money. Yeah. And he was paying it to me in cash, which was interesting because he had reasons for that. And I would go down to his house on the beach in Malibu. We'd work out. He was a fitness nut. But, and he, he, he just, he is Mr. Fitness in the United States. He has built all, he has some relationship with every club that ever has ever opened. If you've been a member of one, you were sending him money. He didn't know it. And, and, and so every Saturday I'd go work out at the beach with him and we'd have our fruit and juices and all that afterwards. And he gave me an envelope full of 10,000 cash. And he did that every week until he paid me. Then he said, you know, Chuck, I want to, I'm opening up a lot of these. I'd like to, what are you going to be doing for? And I said, I don't know, I'm going to go on with some clubs. He said, why don't you go to work with me and be my partner and open up clubs for me and acquire them and, and, because that's your natural gift you have. And I said, right. God, I'd love to do that. So we made a deal. Anyway, I went across the whole United States and we opened up and bought clubs, rolled them up, turned them around, merged them into the company, took the company public, took the finance company that we built to, to finance the paper of the company, right. took it public, sold them both to New York Stock Exchange companies. At that time, there was a lot of them. Anyway, the long story short, that was a long history of, of building businesses and acquiring them and fixing them up, and everybody wins, and you grow your, your, your relationships. And the benefit of that is they always saw that whatever you did had to serve a purpose. The purpose had to be people, and what can you do to help other people accomplish things? And that not only is your personal reward, but it is your gift that you must do. If you're going to have the gift, you must use it properly and um, and grow it. And so that's been the story of my life. And I could go on for hours, but we only have a short time here in this interview, so I'm going to shut up and let you ask me something. Wow, I know, and, and just listening to, that's just a little clip of the story um, from Chuck, and, and I know a lot of the story, but there's I always learn something new because, you know, with the kind of depth of career and vision that you have, there's all kinds of things. So I have a question. During all of these things that you've created, have you ever struggled with people not understanding you like you have a vision and you can kind of see what's going on or you can see what to do and then the people around just look at you like confused or don't know what to do have you ever had that kind of situation almost every time, <laughs> almost every yeah, time. Yeah. so how do you handle that when somebody just looks at you like i don't get it it's a kind of an interesting um, um, project that i created i had to do something that would bring people to your picture and you try to explain something to them, and you already have the vision of it, and mm -hmm. they're not following you, right? They're mm -hmm. they're not in, in in your 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 vision, and so I created a model I call kaleidoscoping. Yes, and I had to kaleidoscope the picture so that when they finally had a perfect picture, they said, "We got it." And you can do that with everybody. It's just some people take a little longer. 
but you need to embrace them and you need to embrace their family and everyone because everyone that's part of them can help or make or break the situation. Mm-hmm. They're part of the picture and you got to kaleidoscope that picture. So anytime I look at a transaction, I look at who is involved in the relationship with those people. Mm-hmm. If it's a husband and wife and what about their children? What about their mother-in-law? What about their, their, their other right. people? Yeah. They impact them, their decision. And if you embrace that quickly and bring that into your kaleidoscope, you can bring them into your vision. And it's their vision now. Yes. And now you make it their vision. And when you do that, you have that kaleidoscope. It's perfect. Right. That's a perfect word, kaleidoscoping. And and. I know that about you. You take, bring in everybody until everybody can see it. And I think Chuck has more patience than most people I know to help somebody see where things are going or to help them understand things because he has the ability to kaleidoscope. You made up, you came up with the term, but you also practice that yes. all the time. And, and I have great respect for that. So the kaleidoscoping, you heard it from Chuck first. yeah well it's true right I mean we all know the words all of us who know you and and are working on projects with you because uh, you use that phrase but I don't know that regular people know that and I think it's a it's an important phrase and I think it's a big part of your natural way but it's also a big part of your overall success because you have that ability you don't you don't discard things you find a way to include things well one of the other things about kaleidoscoping too that is that it gives you a way to, to determine the value of the parties that come into the table and what mm-hmm. they can bring to the table, both in liabilities and, and value, mm-hmm. uh, because they have baggage that they bring with them, mm-hmm. and they yep. have uh, uh, assets that they bring in. And so in your early stage of kaleidoscope, you're going to learn very quickly who you can bring into the picture and who really doesn't belong in that picture. And right. And you never, ever, I don't, anyway, I don't believe in ever, ever having a negative relationship. Mm-hmm. Even if the relationship doesn't come together in what you're trying to do, that relationship should stay with you and maintain a relationship with you forever. And sometimes they may be 10 years before you see them again or talk to them, but you'll be amazed, at least in my lifetime of experiences, that sometimes they come back around into another world, another picture, and they're, they're, they've grown to a level that uh, you're now able to communicate on, and you can mm-hmm. bring them into something else. Right. And they come back into your life. There's a reason for that. And most of them do. And it's, right. uh, I try never to burn bridges. That's really wise, right, is to try not to burn bridges. I know so many people who are like, well, they don't serve my immediate purpose. See yep. you later. Uh, and those people in the long run suffer. But like... Um, we're going to get to the Home for Patriots project here in just a moment, but when we did our two-day retreat, there were a lot of people there who've known you for a very long time, yeah. and me being one of them, but people have known you longer than me, including your family, but it was very interesting because there was lots of different ways everybody knew each other and, mm-hmm. and knew you and how it all came together, and had you been one of those burn bridges type dudes, that would never have happened. That's true. It never yeah. would have happened, and the visions that you're creating today in your life because Chuck's not done creating visions, by the way. Um, it, the visions you're doing now would never be happening. That's true. Not in the same way, right? No, that's very true, because I think that, uh, in fact, you hit on it. Uh, uh, that's a, a good definition of what I was saying about mm. um, 
things come back around. Yes. Uh, and so things move in a circle. Um, I am absolutely convinced that things come in a circle. They, yes. Everything comes around and goes around, and, and I think we all practice that to a large extent. I know people watching this too. And um, so when you learn that, the, to utilize it to your benefit in your kaleidoscoping, they come back around. And so like what you were talking about, our retreat, I knew what each of those pieces were mm -hmm. and what their relationship was, and I could also know where they might fit five years from now. Yes. And that's the visionary part. Like, it was after this retreat, a couple weeks after we were having a conversation, and then it hit me like, oh, now I see all these other levels that Chuck was doing and seeing and, and watching and participating on the, without a word being spoken. Mm -hmm. Like I started having all this awareness about all the, some, some of the other levels. And, and I think that's another part of, the, of your visionary genius is being able to manage all those different levels. So let's talk for a minute about Home for Patriots because mm -hmm. that's the current project and it's a big one. Yeah. And it's a legacy project. And if you're really loving what Chuck is saying, we're going to put all his contact information in the websites in the show notes for you. So you can go check it out because when this is airing, we will have already made more progress on this vision. So just understand that this is magical. Okay. You're in on the conversation before too many people even know what's really going on. So home for Patriots, tell us a little bit about how the vision started what it is and what you would like to see like give us the nutshell home for patriots vision uh, yeah it's very interesting uh, it kind of goes to what we've been talking about obviously mm -hmm. um i lived in a place in florida here that had a, a golf course that i don't golf <laughs> that i lived on and but i knew a lot of the people that did and in the process of that i I came across some veterans and they were starting a veterans group and in that club called Timber Queens Country Club and they had 180 some veterans that lived in Timber Greens, and they wanted to start a club why well, I'm not sure at the time but they wanted to raise money in the club and help do take care of local veterans people that didn't have the ability to live in a country club, mm -hmm. veterans that didn't have the, the results, veterans that are in bad shape, and, and a lot of, of them are unfortunately on, on suicide watch so much. And so we took on, and I helped start the, that group, and we took on sponsoring uh, our first veteran, and we were doing a golf tournament to raise the money for it. And mm -hmm. we, and anyway, we got this veteran who was virtually came in off of the suicide line. And we picked him up, and, and fortunately I had some, a lot of background in being able to work in that area, so, and you and I know about that yes. part of my life. And yes. So we took, very successfully, we took this veteran, and we, we landed up getting him a service dog, and we trained the dog and the vet, and we did it with an organization that specialized in that, and it was so successful, and I walked all through it. I spent every moment with mm -hmm. following that vision. Yeah. Yeah. And this veteran was so successful with his wife that he came back to us 11 weeks later after he was fully into his mm -hmm. new dog and his new partner for mm -hmm. life. 
he was totally a different person. He was getting up and speaking before the group. We had about 30 veterans in there that were, wasn't a dry eye in a room. I guarantee you there wasn't. Oh, wow. they, I mean, they watched the success of it. So we did two more. We had three, and they were all successful. And so in the process of that, I really started getting more involved. I said, I want to do this. I want to help. I want to figure out a way. To, but I got to be... I got to be practical also. I have to learn how do I make money doing it so that I can grow the vision and do more service. You hear a theme here, everybody? You hear a theme, right? Okay. He gets involved in a club. It starts as a club. Okay. Just making sure that if you listen to the beginning of this, <laughs> you'll see the theme. Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's right. I, I, I need a break basically because I get me started. I won't stop. Um, uh, anyway, that that blossomed where we started building a. Uh, how are we going to do this? Are we going to? Mm -hmm. I wanted to do a nonprofit, which mm -hmm. I don't normally do. I've done a few, but I normally have always been a profit. And, but I wanted to do something at this time where I believed the mar the world was ready for it, and that was to have a nonprofit operating beside a profit. So there are advantages to a, a profit center. And there are advantages to a nonprofit, and and there are different reasons to have them. But they are, if you put them together, working together, the multiples of that are phenomenal. They're beyond my imagination, even which is pretty hard to get past my imagination. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but and I don't mean that anyway, other than just I got a busy mind. I'm sure everybody out there does. Yeah. We, and yeah. I'm sure I'm talking to that type of people that have yes. already there. But the multiplication of that were phenomenal. But what happened in doing that, I started doing all the homework that you have to do when you're starting something new. Uh, and in the process of that, I, said, you know, I found out that veterans' suicide rate was three times the national rate of normal rate of suicide. That's un unacceptable. That's just unacceptable to have that. Uh, and the cost of, of, of handling that is 10 times more than it is if we fixed the problem and saved lives and gave the quality. I mean, it was incredible, the numbers. But what was interesting, in the course of kaleidoscoping the project, I also found that first responders mm -hmm. all had the same issues, all had the same problems. We're talking about policemen, all law enforcement, we're talking about paramedics, we're talking about... Uh, 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 literally a host of people. We got border patrols. I mean, we got military. We have fire department. Fire department. Right. We got pyramids. But now we can even tell by the current events that we have people rising to the occasions that are working at high risk in hospitals, with that they're just technicians or they're this or they're that in their occupation, mm -hmm. and they're now heroes right. and they're now right. rising to the occasions. Right. And their suicide yeah. rate's going to go right along with that. And so when you when we examined all of that, we found that they all have a suicide rate three times the national rate. When you start to figure out what the cost of that is, going back to the practical side, the cost of that is phenomenal. To replace mm -hmm. them, just being totally unemotional about it. So right. The cost to retrain, mm -hmm. to replace our government and our cities that are paying for that, and us as taxpayers paying them, Right. Uh, it doesn't take a, a giant to figure out what what the solution is. You got to stop the suicide rate, bring it down, and, and keep the quality of that. If you if you look just in, in the first responders, and there's 
a lot of argument over these numbers, but there are over 100,000 people a year that fit into that category that are no longer here. 100,000. So 100,000 first responders a year commit suicide. And, and your definition of first responder is somebody who runs in when everybody else is running out. Right. So now with this COVID-19, the first responders population just expanded exponentially. Right. And without some kind of intervention and support sooner than later, down the road, we're going to end up with, again, a bigger problem. Yeah, because the problem is so exponential, it's unbelievable. Uh, mm -hmm. our, you know, again, it right. doesn't take anybody to figure that out. They, if you have someone who commits suicide, their family is impacted, the cost to support that, the cost to reimburse that, the cost to replace that, that's the pragmatic side of it, right? But the emotional side of that is we're dealing with really a broken mm -hmm. situations that that are just exponential. That's they they. And by the way, those numbers, one hundred thousand. Somebody else might say forty thousand. It doesn't matter what it's, the number is. It's, it's so substantial that it. It's, right. Let's go get it resolved. Right. It does. It the, the numbers are secondary at this point because right. it's so substantial. So Home for Patriots is the vision to help lower the suicide rate by both intervening in the end and also doing some things up front so people don't get to the suicide part. Correct. So there's multiple levels of the vision of Home for Patriots as um, it all gets going and gets happening. And so what do you see the impact of Home for Patriots being in our culture, say, in five years? Or even a year. Let's do a year. Yeah, well, a year from now, Home for Patriots will have a very substantial footprint in the nonprofit environment. Mm -hmm. And we will be building memberships. My experience of memberships is, mm -hmm. comes into play because that's <laughs> our fastest way to grow something and, and have a, a relationship with those people and the memberships. Mm -hmm. So everywhere in the United States, and that's where we're putting our map down at this point, and we'll, we will put people on the ground in these different communities that are members that have a, a passion to be able to help. They're also going to become the, the, the eyes and ears in that community where they can find that person who's in need and, and catch them sooner so they don't commit suicide. Get mm -hmm. them into the intervention of this. Get them into us so that we can then bring them into our, our base and, and put them into our programs. And as you know, the program is, is comprehensive. It's every application of life is implied in that. When we deal with that, we can't just deal with, okay, we fix them up. We have to be able to completely help them, including a career, including uh, their family, including bringing people back together. In it. And we have to be able to deal with a, a 360 degree of that person's human life. And, and what a wonderful feeling it would be though. You know? Yes. I tell people, if I could just do one, right. I've accomplished one. my mission. Just one. Right. Because that multiplication alone will, will keep spinning. So, and then how that fits in a business model mm -hmm. is that we take, all right, we, we're going to have the nonprofit help us put all of that together, but we need to have providers of services that come together in a holistic approach to taking care of that. And those are most likely going to be all profit centers. Mm -hmm. So we've formed a profit corporation 
to start to be able to do that, but they'll compete with already existing operations because there's somebody already doing something. We don't want to replace it. We want to bring it into a right. partnership with us. Right. But unfortunately, as you know, and our experience <laughs> knows, we need to build it, a lot of it ourselves because it right. just doesn't exist. You have to build it from the ground. And then you can franchise them and put them together. And you can create that environment and create these circles that are just keep picking bigger and bigger waves and more ripples. And then the next one takes over from that. And, right. and, and you put together a whole comprehensive program between the profit and the nonprofit. Obviously, um, all of the business experience that my partners and people that I've known for years, I want them, and they're still around. Yes. I'm <laughs> um, growing a lot of them, and I'm losing a lot of friends along the way that are making their transition. But there's still a few of us out there, like yes. you yeah. and me, and, and people out there that mm -hmm. can yeah. become part of this. Uh, we can make this work into a beautiful thing. And, um, and, but the wonderful conclusion to this thing is in my uh, senior life now is be the one of most wonderful way for me to make my transition uh, is to get this running so that it leaves, uh, I don't like the word legacy only because it's been used too much as a way of, of mm -hmm. being a pat on the back or something. Right. I, I like to leave it on the basis that we created a, a, a circle of friends. Yeah. Right, and that's why we titled the show Creating Something Bigger Than Yourself because yeah. it's not just about this personal legacy or people are starting to use that word a lot. It's really about the circles and the ripple effect and when you come from a place of kindness and compassion and really wanting to help other people and you, you put your skill set to it, which is what you've already spoken about, is bring, bring it all together, then magical things happen because we all have our own unique skills, we all have our own unique visions, we all have our ways to bring them together. So when we kaleidoscope it, something magical happens in that synergy. We put all those tools into a toolbox and then we can all draw from that toolbox and then we kaleidoscope the opportunity and put the right tools together with it and, yeah. and we have the perfect picture and and that's what we're doing that, we have fun doing it too we're having a blast yeah, doing it yeah. yeah and so it's homeforpatriots.org is the nonprofit's website and homeforpatriots.com will be the for-profit website but all that will be in the show notes so you can follow our journey um, because it's true I've known Chuck for many many years and I hadn't talked to you in several years and he found me through LinkedIn again and then he told me about the project and my only response was I'm in not only because it's helping patriots mm -hmm. and your definition of patriots because I've been that first person in emergency rooms and rushing yes, in when yes. other people rushing out I've been there mm -hmm. and not only that but I love how you can vision things and so there's a foundation in the vision it's just not some woo-woo dream it's a vision that has substance to it and that those two things together are like well of course this is like the perfect little project that's why we're hanging out around my dining on my kitchen table talking about it well, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of fun really yeah it, you know you have to have fun because that's that's your release valve mm -hmm. you know that's that takes the that's and it also makes you feel good um but you know when when you think of what we're going through now right. in the world we didn't know about that when we started home for patrons mm -mm. but look at the the kaleidoscoping and the timing of our what we're doing because they're 
the greater being knows that we need to do this. Yes. And, and now there's even a greater need because coming out of what we're going through, and we will come out, and I'm talking about the, the virus that has taken the world by total devastation in economics and, and life, um, but we're going to have the aftermath of that. There are going to be people that have had consequences from the fallout where they're going to be, mm -hmm. uh, yep. uh, and we need to be there for them. And, yep. and that's part of it. And so that is growing more than what we anticipated. Um, and, and our needs are there. And so we need to get it, get it moving and doing it. And doing it at the right pace, it will happen. Right. That's exactly right. And then the, the need is growing faster than we realized in areas we didn't know when we first started talking. So this is where being able to vision and expand and kaleidoscope pays off in a big way because we can serve even better and more people. So I have a couple random questions. Are you in? Fire away. <laughs> All right. What is your most memorable food that you've ever had in your whole life with all your traveling and everything? And you think back, the most memorable food you've ever eaten. Most memorable what? Food. F food? Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> most memorable food. I thought food. that's what you said, but I wasn't. Really. <laughs> like, where did she come up with that? See, I told yeah. you I was changing. Yeah. Moving. <laughs> well, I think of food as probably more than just eating. I mm -hmm. think of food for your mind and your brain and your soul. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I've had, oh, just so many. I would, it would be very difficult to pick just one thing and say, probably my my uh, involvement with dealing with a, a company that was in serious trouble in medical research in cancer and, and dealing with with what we're going through right now, by the way. I mean, we're finding that the immune development, mm -hmm. this was an immune system uh, program that was going through the FDA. They were uh, broke out of money, basically, and, it was, and they, they were in it for 12 years building this thing, and it was mm. so phenomenal. And I was brought in, and our group, and we took basically over and recapitalized it, funded it, and and uh, took it through the FDA, and, and we had so much wonderful experience dealing with it, and then it's now moved on into greater dimension where it belongs. I, I don't normally stay more than a couple of years into anything, uh, and other than now, Home for Patriots, because this is my, 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 well, who knows, maybe we'll find some super, don't know where it's going. Superfood that will do the job, keep me going a lot longer, keep us all going. And so that project was one of the most successful ones from a food, mm -hmm. because I learned firsthand what it was like to deal with people that were stage four cancer patients that had gone through all the traditional trials of, of traditional medicine and and had failed, and they were and they were in six months or less of their life. And they came part of our trials, and it was breast cancer. And we had, I'll never forget this, as long as I live, we had 27 women patients who had breast cancer. By the time we got them enrolled in, in the trial, we had lost six of them. We were down to 21 patients that started the trial. And we put them through our program, and, uh, and, and we were able to save 19 of the 21 lives. Oh, beautiful. Uh, and, and, you know, and they they went on. I mean, some of them went back to work. I mean, their lives changed. And, and that company 
went on with a lot of struggles. It was very difficult. Probably the most difficult thing that I've ever done is trying to get a trial through now with what's going on. All that is coming better. For All that is the new releasing some of the lobbying things that have created these uh, barriers to entry. Um, and new trial drugs and everything now are going to be expedited, and, and so there will be a lot of side benefits to it. And one of them is is that kind of experience that I had, and I would uh, I treasure that one. But I, I treasure so many of them. I I really, uh, but I have to say though that one touched my heart the most because I firsthand seen and I firsthand worked and I volunteered in a hospice for. Three years, when I was at the peak of my business career, I wanted to stay grounded, mm -hmm. and I took the time off and and I spent working in mm -hmm. the hospice dealing with the people in stage four cancer, mostly, and other diseases, but cancer. My patient, in particular, I dealt with was a Lou Gehrig disease, a 34-year-old man that was devastated, life career as a famous golf pro. Uh, and uh, and he couldn't talk, he couldn't anything. All the things that that Lou Gehrig mm, disease does to it's him, tragic. Yeah. and it kept me grounded. Sure. And I was so close to him because we we were together until he made his transition, and that was starting me into wanting to see how we could do more things that could bring new therapies and new things into reality faster and quicker and eliminate some of the lobbying efforts that large pharmaceutical companies and things have created as barrier to entry to protect their their existing products and uh, and that's a that's a that's a project for our army to, to solve not, not one person <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true yeah. that's completely true so there's pro i'm sure there's somebody watching us right now who's listening to you and and being really inspired like i am and so if somebody just has some ideas and they're just starting out, like they're maybe a young person or maybe there's somebody who's already successful in one place and wants to really do some good in the world, what would you tell that new person who just has the idea? What would be a, a piece of advice that you would share? Well, I would be, a, first of all, I would probably, if I liked what they were saying or doing, I would be willing to be a pro bono uh, mentor to them. That's, oh, that's, beautiful. That's, uh, because that's... That's how you start new people into um, their vision and what they're trying to do. And I do that all, all, all the time with great gratitude too, mm -hmm. because I love helping people. You and I know a lady that we both just met yes. that I think she's already asked if I would mentor her mm -hmm. and her business opportunity and I happen to know that business well. And uh, I think we can be, uh, and also I think she'll be a strategic partner in what we're going to be doing yeah. in the future completely aligns with yeah. what we're going to be doing in the future and and so I think that's a really big message right to be willing to freely share our own lessons and values and and how to help the people coming up behind us so that they have solid shoulders to stand on so to speak and having that giving consciousness wouldn't you say yeah oh no question I think the 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 vision and the time is always now because we only mm -hmm. deal with it now right we it's what we do today that makes everything right. important. Yeah. And the the days that are the new day is just another day of now. So it's you know we're dealing with it at that time. And when those people are first starting, they you put them into the network and get them the 
resources to help them, their chances of being successful go up dramatically and their life can improve dramatically. And you can save them a lot of bumps along the way. Right. Uh, yeah, I call that OPI, other people's experience. Yes. If we can share our experience and help out somebody who's just starting and so they don't have to go through the same heartache, it makes everything better because everybody moves faster. It oils the machine, so to speak. So I have one final question for you that I ask almost everybody on the show because it's a fascinating question. And that is, if we could create a billboard that the whole world would see that has a message from Chuck Bros on it, what would it say? Oh boy, <laughs> uh, a billboard as you know, when you have a billboard, you can't have more than eight words. That's right, so, so there you so, go, count them out. <laughs> yeah, so, so I would have to say, save, help save first responders from suicide. There you go. Help save first responders yeah. from suicide. And what are first responders? Those that are running in when we're running out. That's and, it. And so reducing that down to eight words is my billboard. There you go. Yeah. That's a perfect billboard. Yeah. And you could probably have lots of billboards because of, of all of your visions. But thank you, Chuck, for coming over and hanging out in my kitchen and doing this interview with me because yeah. I think that the message you share is really valuable for a lot of people and I think a lot of y'all are being very inspired by him. I know I am and I've known him for a long time and I'm inspired by this conversation. So is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to share? How many hours you got? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that means we're yeah. going to have to do a round yeah. two. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to have another, another table. I, and I enjoyed the day coming over to see your beautiful home and also meeting Maggie who's just the sweetest dog sitting there laying by my foot. She's an angel dog. Yes, well, yes. everybody, thank you so much yeah. for watching this episode of Someone Gets Me where we're talking about creating something bigger than ourselves. And remember this, keep your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star and you're here on purpose with a purpose. And this show is all about waking us up to go live our vision. And Chuck Bros, our guest today, has inspired me even more to go live my vision and I'm sure you're feeling the same way. So hit him up in the contact notes and let him know you heard him on the show. And if you need any inspiration, just listen to what he has to say again and you'll be inspired again, okay? So until next time, everybody, be well. And thank you, Chuck, for being on the show. My pleasure. It's a nice meeting, everybody. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.